Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen, wherever you are in the world. Welcome back to The Caring Economy with me, Toby Eusnick. Today, I'm thrilled to have Sri Srinivasan as our guest. Sri has been a friend, a collaborator, a colleague for, gosh, I think 15 plus years now, if not more. He uh, first came into my life when he was actually the tech guru on WABC TV here in New York. He was also the Dean of Students at Columbia School of Journalism. He is a journalist by training, and he is the man to go to for all things tech and social media related. So welcome to The Caring Economy, Sri Srinivasan. Such a thrill to be here, Toby. I have interacted you with you in so many ways, but we haven't done a podcast yet. So this is exciting. And congrats on the podcast success. Uh, such an important topic that you cover and you help so many people. And if I can be a tiny part of that, I'm just thrilled. Thanks, Sri. As always, you're you're there as a friend to help and, and move the meter. I actually feel that somehow a podcast is the perfect place for us to go because we've collaborated on so many different things. We, as an expert in social media and oral um, aspects of that, I think this is a good place for us to spend some time today. So thanks for joining me. I want to open by asking you, as we ask all of our guests here, Sri, to talk a little bit or two about about your background, your career trajectory, and how you got where you got, maybe a little bit about uh, how you were raised, where you went to school, um, and then your early career days and how you uh, pivoted left when others went right sort of thing. So over to you. Sure. Uh, my father was an Indian diplomat, so I was born in Tokyo, and uh, that meant I was already different from everybody else in the, in the room. My father had no trouble picking me out in the window. He said, the brown one is mine. And that started a life of me being different from everybody else around me. We lived in seven countries in my first 18 years. Uh, that meant a lot of adjusting. I lived in the Soviet Union um, at, uh, in Moscow in the 70s. I uh, was a full-blown communist, and I used to say Lenin is God. And uh, then we moved eventually to the Upper East Side of Manhattan, and I started saying John Lennon is God and became a capitalist. <laughs> I, I told my parents when I was 12, I was going to be a journalist. They started crying immediately because Indian parents, as you know, want doctors, engineers, uh, lawyers, anything except a journalist. I got my first byline in Fiji, where I went to high school, which is as wonderful as it sounds. And uh, I knew this is what I want to do with the rest of my life. Uh, I worked at a newspaper that the, the motto was the first newspaper published in the world today, not the oldest newspaper, but the first mm -hmm. because of the dateline. And as you know, there's a place in Fiji where you, there's a sign that says tomorrow, yesterday, and you can just mm -hmm. bounce back and forth. And that also gave me an early insight into how technology was affecting the world. And uh, my father was the high commissioner when there was the first of a series of coups and the Indian embassy, the high commission had a fax machine. All the phone lines were cut by the Fiji government during by the military coup leaders, but they didn't have a list of fax machines to cut. And because they had the fax machine, my dad could communicate with India. This was so early in all this technology that it really helped through that very complicated, dangerous political diplomatic negotiations. And I really understood the value of, of technology in, in everything we do. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I graduated from college in India, and then I came to Columbia Journalism School to do my master's, stayed for 21 years, 
uh, ending up as a Dean of Students and as the university's first chief digital officer. And you might remember, Toby, this was during the height of the great MOOC crisis of 2012, the, the, uh, the massive open online courses where everybody thought that this is gonna upend all universities. And so I did that for a year and realized that certain universities would not be affected as much. And I took a job as the chief digital officer of the Metropolitan Museum working on the future of culture. Mm. And it was the three most amazing years of my life. I learned so much, we did so much. We worked together, you and I on some things and uh, uh, we, we had the best time. And uh, the museum had financial difficulties and on a single day, the chief, the first ever chief digital officer, first chief marketing officer, and first chief design officer, we were all brought in and let go on the same day. And after having started three years earlier, and um, then I was chief digital officer of New York City, which was uh, also very interesting. And when that job ended, I said, I will never work for anybody again, never wear a tie again, except at weddings and funerals, and uh, do my own consulting. Mm -hmm. And uh, I started doing that and it's been about almost five years now and I've been blessed to be able to uh, try to help people at a time when technology, digital, social are more important than ever. And one of the vindications of all our work at the Met where I had a 70 person team doing digital was that one of our biggest critics posted uh, that, wow, all the things the Met did during that era of digitizing the art is now paying off when the museum is closed. Mm. So that was that was. Uh, I wish that was not how we you 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 get uh, validation, considering everything other other horrible thing that's happened in the world. But that's my story in a nutshell. <laughs> and and Tree, do you do you think of yourself as more journalist or more tech expert, <laughs> or do you kind of switch depending on the time of day and the audience? <laughs> uh, uh, I guess a little bit of both. So I was uh, just, I'm speaking to you after coming back from the Nobel Peace Prize ceremony in right. Oslo, uh, which is a, I'm, I'm, I promote something online called hashtag life highlight, hashtag life highlight to get people to annotate their own social media when they do something interesting, do it for yourself. It's not for the world, but if you went into your own social media, would you know what were the 10 most interesting things you did this year? And the answer is most likely no, because you have so much social media. So let's annotate our own social. Mm -hmm. And obviously going to the Nobels was amazing. I've been to Stockholm where they do all the other prizes except the Peace Prize and the, they do that in Oslo. But I landed in the middle of the pandemic and the locked a new set of lockdowns. So I ended up being one of 12 journalists in the room when the press conference for Maria Ressa and Dmitry Muratov happened. It was so moving to hear them talk about the importance of information accuracy, fighting disinformation, the power of journalists. And you know, we're a little bit spoiled in this country in a good way that we complain about social media, we complain about the trouble the journalists face, but it's nothing like in those countries where journalists mm -hmm. are killed for just doing their job. Mm -hmm. And we should not lose sight of that here in this country. So to answer to your question, so. Uh, I play journalist sometimes, but I play uh, a, a tech, uh, ex alleged tech expert other times. But I have a theory about what is going to work in the in the current world we live in and in the mm -hmm. foreseeable future. And that's my theory of the two footprints. Mm -hmm. And I say that we have, as human beings, two footprints. One footprint is our work as our everyday work, 
what people know us for are if we're an author or a writer or a business person, everybody around us knows who we are, but we also have a digital footprint. And if your digital footprint doesn't match your physical footprint, you're leaving opportunities, money, other things on the table. And so what I've made it my life's mission to help nonprofits, for-profits, individuals, companies make that, make those two things match a little more, improve their digital footprint. The good news is if that you've been doing the good work, the important work of, 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 of doing that physical work, mm -hmm. the physical footprint, the digital footprint is easy to fix. Mm -hmm. uh, the vice versa is much harder. There are people who you know who are really good at social but have no there there. Mm -hmm. And that's what we want to avoid, right? Like I love working with people who've just been putting their head down, helping people, uh, delivering, helping customers. And now want to add this level of layer of social, that's easy to do. The vice versa is actually not easy and is very uh, irritating sometimes. Yeah. Well, I'd like to ask you a bit about that as well as with the Nobel. Um, first with the Nobel and, and journalism, fighting disinformation, uh, establishing what truth is, whether it's here in the U.S. or in companies, countries rather, where it's even more fraught. What are some of the suggestions or insights you have that help either journalists in a war-torn country or in under siege or just citizens under siege? How do you help them navigate social media when everything seems suspect? It is so poisonous, Toby, and so disheartening. Mm. And I'm a big believer in the value of social, but these last few years have shown us that nothing is safe. Our mm -hmm. democracy is not safe. Our health systems are not safe. And uh, just everyday understanding of basic human societal norms, they're not safe because of social. Mm -hmm. And we all need to be better consumers of social media. We need to fight back against the, against the machine, meaning against the companies. And we need to use the tools in better ways ourselves. And uh, it starts with simple things like when we see something, do we forward it or not? Mm -hmm. And the answer should be, we don't forward it unless we check it. And I don't have time to check it, so I'm not going to forward it. Mm -hmm. Like Those are things we learned, by the way, back at 9-11, when right. so many hoaxes were perpetrated on people because of everything that happened. And we, I used to say, if it sounds too good to be true or too bad to be true on the internet, it probably is. And that, that thought from 2001 is even more true today. Mm. And the, the speed of which things move is part of the problem. And I wish I had good news, but the dramatic amount of changes we've seen in technology, in digital, in our lives in the last 5, 10, 15 years is going to be accelerated in the next few. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be even harder to keep up. So we need to teach our children that they have to be more vigilant about accuracy and, and misinformation. Mm -hmm. And all of us need to be really good at fighting it on a daily basis. When you see something on Twitter or Facebook, report it. Don't just laugh when it's just like, oh, it's so funny, or it's obviously a fake account. Report it. These, organ these companies have an obligation to follow up when you report it. But if you don't report it, then nothing's going to change. So we all have to do our part. And that's just the beginning. Mm -hmm. And how, how's it being played out in the J schools and how are journalists now being trained or educated about 
the use of social media and calling out the bad behaviors? Uh, I think that uh, every media organization and therefore every new journalism school is, is trying their best but it's so hard because, you know, it's even when you use the word misinformation, it's kind of a misnomer because there's misinformation and there's disinformation. And the disinformation is perfected by entities that are working on a global scale mm -hmm. and are not just like having fun, right? They are out to change the world in a mostly bad, terrible, awful way. Mm -hmm. And uh, it can be very hard to, uh, it's not a fair fight. Uh, that's taking oh. place. While we can blame all kinds of actors all over the world for this, the heart of it, the technology, is in Silicon Valley. And Silicon Valley has to do a better job stepping up and acknowledging the problems and then doing something about it. One of the things I learned just this weekend in the New York Times is we have seen this amazing set of events and meetings and test, test, testimony from CEOs of tech companies that go in front of Congress uh, for years. You know how many laws have changed as a result of all of those in five years? Zero. Zero. And that's the problem. So we can blame things happening in other countries, but as long as Americans and American companies are doing this, are part of the problem, the tech people know what they're doing. Uh, they are, they've optimized everything on that phone that we hold to be, you know, to engage us, to worry us, to increase our agita. And they've done such a good job with that. Mm -hmm. And you know, they know it. How? Because they don't let their children use those tools, mm -hmm. right? You go Silicon Valley, many of the executives put their kids in these Waldorf type schools where there's no technology, there's no uh, any way to interact with their, these tools. Today, Tim Cook has said he wouldn't let his nephews uh, or his, uh, you know, his uh, family's children be on these social media platforms and other things. So they know that their own tools are bad for us, but they are making money off of all of us. But I say that with, at the same time, using these tools every day, you know, there was the world's first delete Facebook day, world delete Facebook day was in 2010. And here we are in 2021. And I've never deleted Facebook, I use it. And I tell people, let's become better users of it. Let's use it. It's a utility. If Con Ed, a utility company is doing things wrong, we don't like boycott it, what do we do? We go in there and we say, fix it so the building's less dangerous, mm -hmm. fix it so that your employees are not dying or whatever and fix it, right? We don't boycott it. So my solution is to say, I love the potential of these tools, but I acknowledge and know and understand the pain of these tools, let's fix them. So when you say let's fix it, do you think, do you think that um, government ever is going to get to some kind of fix or is it going to be self-produced by the industry itself or, or any? Well, Facebook, <laughs> that's well, a good question because yeah. Facebook spends a lot of money in New York Times ads saying, regulate us, regulate us. And so that sounds wonderful. Look, Facebook is asking for regulations, but why are they asking for regulations? Because they know they can control it because they have such good lobbyists and such good uh, connections into, into Congress, and Congress isn't ready. Uh, yeah. I think they've started hiring better people under the Biden administration, people who know 
tech and putting them in those liaison opportunities, mm -hmm. but yeah. there's still a long way to go. Yeah. And uh, we are going to see these problems continue until those they're, uh, they're addressed in some important way. Yeah, some people have told me cynically that um, it would be interesting to look at the family members of our, uh, our legislators to see how many of them have children or grandchildren or nieces and nephews working at these tech companies. And maybe they don't want to, uh, to upset that apple cart. <clears throat> I don't know. It'd be an interesting number to look at, I think. Um, but there's a positive side, many positive sides to this technology, social media. Um, one in particular I'm thinking of is uh, the ability, it, social media allows us to find our communities where we would not necessarily be able to in an analog world. So, you know, as a, a gay man, for me to be able to find networks or contacts as, as a community I can reach. You as an Indian uh, might be tapped into a, the diaspora in a way that's really potent, helpful, affirming for you. Um, there's something you said for that as well, right? The social media world has been uh, so helpful to the work that I do, uh, not just as an alleged expert on the, on the topic, but just the way I connect with my family, I connect with work, I connect with my children who are now in college, and my ability to interact with them on their terms when they're ready is so meaningful to me versus uh, when I left my parents in Fiji, went to college in India, I would write them uh, a, a snail mail letter once a week and hope it would get there. Mm -hmm. And we would have a call maybe once every six weeks. Now we could be six times a day. I'm trying not to be that kind of parent. So I have seen what social media can do and how helpful it can be and what it's done for fundraising, what it's done to amplify the good in the world. And if we can all do more of that, we will all be better off. Mm -hmm. uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, again, today on The Caring Economy, we have Sri Srinivasan with us. He is a, a journalist. He is a tech guru, in my view, and uh, is just back from Oslo from the Nobel Peace Prize, where he was covering that story. Um, Sri, do you think that there is, are there examples in the private sector, uh, I'm thinking of corporations in particular, where the use of social media technology has allowed them to execute more effectively on their corporate social responsibility practices on how they engage diverse communities? Uh, do you have any favorite examples, perhaps, of a brand that you think is really firing all pistons with engagement through social media? I think we, we, there are lots of companies that try to do it, but don't necessarily do it well because they get caught up in whatever trend is of the day or whatever hashtag things mm -hmm. they want to show. And uh, that makes it much harder uh, by, for them to do it well, you know? So I, I think that what, what companies need to do is be authentic in, in what they're doing with social. Uh, they need to be serious about it and not just apply. Also, one of the things we see is that they have very small, um, sorry, very junior staff doing social media when they should be senior people doing it pay people real money to do it so they'll take it seriously and you'll have the skill set in order to deliver really good uh, quality work, especially in this year of DEI, right? Like where we're really thinking about DEI in, in new ways. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'll say there are companies that do it well, but 
doesn't mean they do it all well. Look at Netflix. Netflix does, I think, a terrific job on reaching diverse communities on social, mm -hmm. but they're also, you've seen what they've done with Mr. Chappelle, yeah. with Dave Chappelle. So uh, I, that's why I'm reluctant to give passing grades or scores to any company because there'll always be something that goes wrong and somebody in the, in the hierarchy who doesn't understand the value of doing this well and they mm -hmm. mess it up. But that's, yeah. that's, it's too bad, isn't it? Yeah, well said. And also, uh, I think of all these challenges or opportunities for businesses as, um, as sort of uh, a moment in time, right? So things change. So how do you stay relevant? How do you stay engaged? How do you avoid slipping, right? So, um, so it's, it's both precarious, but I also think it's quite an exciting time for business leaders to really um, become conversant in the social media and use it responsibly and consistently. To your point, it's it's it it can change in a heartbeat, right? But if you think about all the tools in a uh, company's toolbox now for social media, for marketing, branding, crisis communications, how do you counsel a decision maker in a corporation to focus its its efforts, its finances, its its teams on a particular or a set of tools? Why say um, a traditional television ad or a Facebook post versus a TikTok or a Snapchat? How, how do you help a brand choose between all these tools and how to use them effectively? It's something that requires a lot of effort and thoughtfulness and research and say, does this really make sense for this audience? Does our audience play in that field? Do, they, do we need to be there? Mm -hmm. And I'll give an example from the Met. Uh, when I was there in the 2013, 2016 years, uh, Tumblr was very big in the art world. Mm -hmm. And I would get regular calls saying, can you please be on Tumblr? Can you please be on Tumblr? And I said, Tumblr is good, but we need to be on Weibo, which is the big Chinese network, as you know so well. Mm -hmm. We need to be on WeChat. And we put our energy there because we wanted to make sure our Chinese audiences were catered to. And it was the right call, but the amount of pressure that came in from people who don't know any better, but think they know better because they, they, they're cousins on Tumblr, right? Like that's, that's where companies have to be thoughtful about what makes sense for them. You don't have to be on every platform. You have to know about every platform, but you want to invest the time, energy, resources on the ones that give you the most bang for your buck. There was a time when I would quote from Facebook, they had a sign in every office that says focus on impact and you could there's there are a hundred jokes in that now because you know, obviously you could say well look at the impact they had on the election look at the impact they had on these terrible things yeah, but yeah. the heart of it is the truth is that focus on the things that will pay off the fastest and with the least amount of effort so that you can then build on it and then try new things take a chance, et cetera, is how I would look at it. So uh, let's think about social media across time. You and I, I mean, we've known each other for so long. I can remember when we used to have sessions and we talk about to blog or not. <laughs> and then I think we went into LinkedIn and then we went into Facebook and now it's to TikTok or not. Um, then there's podcasts, there's, um, there's uh, Treehouse. So what do, you, what do you see happening trend-wise with social media? Is the oral, the spoken becoming 
a big growth area, it seems to be, to me, um, is that a place for brands to go or just heed your advice and just uh, go there when your people are there? Well, you want to be, you sometimes want to lead your people there as well. And what you're mm -hmm. saying, audio is big, video is big. Uh, we are seeing uh, folks uh, participating in all kinds of ways in which to communicate, but still don't forget email. Don't forget the newsletter, which is from like 2005, but still so valuable. There's a reason the New York Times is launching multiple newsletters. They put two people on a newsletter and have business success. They made a business case out of doing two, two people on a newsletter and, uh, and owning a, a, a vertical of something. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think organizations need to have uh, a foot in the old as well as the new, because your audience is like that too. Not everybody's on TikTok, no. not everybody's on, uh, on these other channels. But you, they may be one day, there may be a lot of people there. So be ready for it and then jump in. But you don't have to do what all the cool kids are doing because you may not be ready, your audience may not be ready, and even your organization may not be ready. So let's stick with Instagram for a second, Sri. And again, ladies and gentlemen, today we have Sri Srinivasan with us. He is a journalist by training and a son of a diplomat who's grown up around the world, just back from Oslo himself for covering the the Oslo, uh, the Nobel Peace Prize, um, and a tech guru. Uh, Instagram, double-edged sword, right? We hear these stories about how young girls in particular, but people in general are getting caught up in self-image issues. Um, the, the, the corporations say they're addressing it, let them address it. Um, you've got young children. How do you, how do you guide them on this um, particular platform? Yeah, I spend a lot of time. So I, as you know, I run a social media consulting company and virtual events, production stuff. And we talk a lot to our clients about Instagram. And especially if you are have a youth facing audience or you, I mean, your company faces uh, and interacts with children, uh, you have to be very careful. You know, the 13 year cutoff is, is uh, often enforced only theoretically, including by parents who lie when they set up their kids on social. So you're teaching children that it's okay to lie about that. The very first interaction you ever have on social is a lie. Then everything that follows is gonna be a good lie. chance there'll be a lie too. And uh, these issues about body image are so important. And you remember what I was saying earlier about tech people not letting their kids do tech? My children were the last in their class to get an iPhone, the last in their class to get on Snapchat, the last on their class to get on uh, Instagram. And they were really mad at me for that. But I said, I know what these things do. You don't need to be on there. And my kids will tell you now that they know what I was trying to do, which was keep them off these platforms for as long as possible because things will change. And they, it affects especially young minds. You know. One of the biggest changes in my lifetime has been the change in regulation as well as parental and societal attitudes to marijuana. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, we've gone from where it was criminal and putting people in prison, throwing away the key, uh, mostly disproportionately uh, to black and, uh, black, black and brown communities to now it's a multi-billion dollar business with hedge funds involved in it. What is the comparison? Uh, it may be legal uh, to have marijuana, by the way, not still federally, but in a state, but that doesn't mean the 17-year-old, 16-year-old, 15-year-old needs to be smoking it, right? Like there's a reason the brain, the longer it stays off of it, the less addictive it'll be in theory, the less damage it will do. 
And a 21-year-old's brain is in a better place than a 14-year-old. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing with social media, that any, the, the fact that you are getting on there at an early age, you're, you're more susceptible to things. When we were growing up to see prurient, prurient content, mm -hmm. you had to make an effort and hide from your parents and all of that. And now parents are giving the world's toilets to children and encouraging them to be on it and having them in their bed. But, but you, you know also how some of us grew up with TVs in our bedrooms and some of us didn't. Mm, yep. And who do you think read more from the kids who did or did not have TVs in their bedrooms, right? Mm. Like it's, it's parents enabling for the wrong reason. Some of this in partly to be cool, in part because they're worried that kids will be left behind. Mm. All of these things when children should be out playing, participating, doing things. Mm. And, and it's not all bad, I will say, when I was growing up, my mother would be like, son, go out and you know, stop playing video games and go outside. Now you see kids like they don't, you know, there are also kids who, when I was growing up, we wanted cheat codes to learn how to cheat at the video games. Now the kids want to learn how to do it. Not that because they don't want just to want to cheat. It's more fun to actually execute it the right, more detailed way. Mm. And it's been brilliant to see that. So mm. yeah we as adults have a role to play in all of this and it may not be our own kids it may be our neighbor's children our grandkids our our uh neighbors you know our nieces nephews all of us all adults have a role to play and how we model our own behavior matters right yeah. like one of the things i say about the pandemic is that a lot of the things my indian mother said to me turned out to be absolutely true because we ate with our hands. She would always make us wash our hands. She would make us take off our shoes before we came into the house, mm -hmm. right? Like these are things that are just good practice mm -hmm. that if we keep our kids off social as long as we can, if we cut down our own time and the phone shows you that, the phone tells you how many hours you spent on Instagram last week, it's horrifying to see it. So mm -hmm. don't, you know, cut that down. There are, the tools can help you fight the tools mm -hmm. is another way I think of it. Yeah. And then, you know, in addition to the child parent relationship, there's the, the peer group or the, the community. So at the institutional level, I think bless the administrators at schools and, and elsewhere that have to deal with different parents with different expectations and requirements, because the peer pressure must be incredible to give my kid a phone or don't give my kid a phone. And it's these convening places that have to find the common ground. So I hear you. Um, Shri, I want to ask you one last question, which is about purpose, purpose in life, purpose in careers, purpose-driven brands. Um, just to put you on the spot, do you have any reflections on the role of purpose, both in your own life but, or career, but also um, in general for anyone who's either thinking about a career change or starting a career right out of college or school? Um, what do you say about purpose? Well, you have this is the best part of your podcast, sir, when you discuss purpose, uh, Toby. So I'm glad we're talking about it. And uh, it's been something that has um, driven my work in, in, in my consulting world. It's been almost five years and I uh, work with a lot of nonprofits. Uh, some of them are who pay our biggest tickets, uh, ticket prices, but some of them who are so small that we do pro bono or low bono work for them. And we work with big corporations and one helps feed the other, you know, pay for the other work that we do. But there's so much meaning in helping, especially nonprofits and NGOs uh, survive and thrive in this world that 
I think in corporate America, we take so many things for granted because of the way the world is built. Mm -hmm. But there are so many little things we can do for nonprofits that will pay off in, 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 in such large amounts. And uh, we make it our, our effort within, within what we're doing to, to work with as many nonprofits as we can. Having said that, it isn't the only way to measure. Like I'm not saying people should only work in nonprofits. Uh, I had to hire developers at the, at the Met, you know, software developers. And you know how hard it is to hire a software developer <laughs> in New York City when Instagram and Facebook and everything else is so hard, right? Yeah. But I was able to do it because I, was I would tell a story about what the Met was doing. And these engineers were willing to take a pay cut to work for a purpose, yeah. work for a mission. Mm -hmm. And that's what we have, you know, oldies like us, we spend a lot of time criticizing the next generation, mm -hmm. but the amount of interest they have in purpose over money, over uh, prestige and other things is, is something I have seen my firsthand. I've been able to hire those kids who could have been doing anything else, but mm. they believed in, in the purpose of the Met uh, or at Columbia or anything like that, or any of the nonprofits we work with, that uh, they're, they're willing to take a chance the way you and I couldn't take a chance because we needed the money or we were raised that, you know, the stability above all, right? Yep. And now it's a different world. And they're more, they know that there is nothing is promised. They know there is no uh, safety net. They know life is not a uh, escalator ride anymore. It's a roller coaster. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, again, today, it's been my thrill to have Sri Srinivasan with us. Sri, if our audience wants to follow up with you, what's the best way to get in touch? On Twitter, I'm at Sri, S-R-E-E. -E. My email is Sri at Sri.net, Sri at Sri.net. My website is digimentors.group, digimentors.group. I say everybody needs a digital mentor. Mm -hmm. And so that's how we came up with the name for our consultancy. So we're happy to help and chat about anything. Thank you. And you are a digi mentor to me always. I, I love the fact that I can always call on you to come talk to a group of colleagues about the latest in tech trends, social media, or life. So thank you again, Sri Srinivasan, for joining us today on The Caring Economy.